open up your books, you bad apples. Woo wee! <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, we took a whole hour and a half to get prepped for yep, this. Yep, 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 this yep. is our biggest episode yet. Yes, our biggest episode yet, but we're here. Um, don't know if this is part of the show yet. Hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang. And Cole, I uh, I don't know that I ask it every week, but you know, a common theme that uh, that you'll hear a lot if you've been listening to the show up to this point is I'm always asking how you're doing, and uh, things are no different today, my friend. Oh, I had a little... Little rough patches in the road. The car broke down. Uh oh. Uh, had to get my car towed to the mechanic. Uh, but after that happened, I was happy as could be. Once it was fixed, you know, you don't you don't appreciate things until they're gone. And once your car is gone, even though it's not my favorite car. You know, you just appreciate it once you have it again. It's it's the uh, wheels, you know, the mode of transport. Even if you don't appreciate it, I mean, yeah. you know, you need it. Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, it was uh, not fun. Yeah, a little bit of fun. How, I don't ask you this much, but how how was, uh, well, because you do the, you initiate it. How was your, how was your week? Isn't it funny to talk about the outline of the show? You know, it is kind of funny because at this point we usually talk about this. Um, you know, the uh, time keeps on slipping. It's Monday one day and Friday the next and then it's the weekend and you get to kick your feet up and have a little fun and then you're right back into the work week. Um, that's just how it goes though. You know, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, had a pretty uneventful week, I would say. That or I just might not be remembering anything too specific. You know, me and the cat were just trucking along over at the old homestead. Um, <laughs> we actually have some snow in the area now after an almost entirely snowless December. It might have actually yeah. been a snowless December up to this point, but uh, what are you going to do, you know? <laughs> I'm kind of glad to see it because we're, you know, less than two weeks before Christmas and... Uh, if this year hasn't already seemed low in spirit, you know, no snow on the ground certainly didn't help things. Yeah, it just proves that climate change is a hoax. Cool. Uh, pick up that snowball and show that to your uh, your snowflake friends who believe You're, in that crap. Yep, 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 <laughs> yep, yep, yep. All right, okay. Enough, enough, um, enough of this? I don't know. Uh, we're talking about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory today, okay? Yeah. You've yummy, been yummy. asking for it. <laughs> <laughs> you wanted this. <laughs> yeah, you wanted it, and we're giving it to you. Um, the Raw Doll classic that came out in a year that I do not know. Um, before we even got into this, though, I said last week that I was excited to talk about this book because since I started reading it, uh, it's much different than I expected. I'm not sure how your results have turned out so far up to this point, but uh, okay. that's what we're here for. Um, yeah. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about before we cracked into this? I read a couple Roald Dahl classics as a kid. I can't the remember. BFG. The BFG. We read that in grade school as we did. a class. Uh, I believe I read... 
I know for sure I read the sequel to this. I can't remember if I read the original. Um, but I'm familiar with the, the universe. I saw the uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the new one in theaters. Yes. Uh, that was wild. Yes. It is unfortunate that I can only think about that movie through certain parts of this book, but only because I'm pretty sure I watched it a hundred times when it came out. Um, yeah. Obviously not a bad thing, because I still really like some of the visuals, and I can remember them very vividly, even though I haven't seen the movie for ten years. And that was another thing I wanted to mention, too, that you got out of the way without even having to specify it. Um I didn't know that this was part of a series, but sure enough, when you look it up on the old Google, it says Charlie Bucket Book One. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, the only one with a movie, though, apparently. Yes. Well, okay. So uh, there's a little bit of a theme here with our uh, Oh, my books, God. But... You are always bringing information to the show, Cole. I do not care. No one cares, okay? You know what? You already got rooting up, though, so go ahead. You, you don't think that a uh, Taiki Watiki... Uh, I don't know how to say his name. Taika uh, Watiti, I believe. Taika Watiti. Uh, he's making a Netflix version of both books here soon. And so I'm assuming they'll be coming out next week. <laughs> uh. <laughs> because because I can't remember. Uh, I believe we put out one floor over the cuckoo's nest right alongside that ratchet show, and literally when we put out the first or second episode of the Hellbound Heart, Clive Barker's Books of Blood came to Hulu. Like we've done this a few times on accident. Yeah, yep, totally unintentional, but that's just how the stars align. Yeah, um, right. Uh, yeah, talk about Aquarius. That's me. Um, are you sure you're an Aquarius? I, uh, oh, I'm an Aquarius. Yep, I'm all those traits and I embody them. Yep, uh, I kind of figured, you know. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> but I believe it's coming out in March 2021. So, oh. so keep, a, keep a lookout. I, I think that's an interesting, um, that'll be an interesting series, hopefully. Absolutely. Um, he did that movie. What was it? Jojo Rabbit? Wasn't that him? He was Jojo in it. Rabbit. Yep, that, that was a good film. Uh, a couple Heard Marvel movies. Well, Hulk, oh, Ragnarok. Thor, yeah, Ragnarok, yep. Yeah, some fun stuff. Absolutely. He was also in What We Do in the Shadows, and that's, uh, that's a pretty fun movie. That's a for classic. Anyone that, yeah, for anyone that likes a bit of uh, vampire goofs. Yeah. Yep. Um, well, Lucas, would you want to hear a little bit about old R.D., Roald Dahl? I would love to. If I may say right before we get this started, too, Roald is probably, like, the weirdest name I can think of. Yeah. Wasn't sure how to pronounce it, but Roald sounds like it is it. (laughs) Roald Dahl. Okay. Go nuts. All right, Roald Dahl was born in 1916 in Wales, and he had two Norwegian parents, uh, but they came to Wales in the UK. Uh, Like like most authors, uh, he had a little bit of tragedy in the beginning of his life. In the beginning of his life, he uh, 
His sister died of appendicitis when he was three, and then his father died uh, when he was four years old. Man. Dahl, he was a little bit of a troublemaker as a kid, Uh and he was uh, caned. Do you know uh, what that term is? I believe it means being hit with something like a cane, probably. Yeah, yeah, Ouch. kind of. But uh, see, that's that's the um, assumption. But uh, mm-hmm. being caned was uh, a term that was like, well, a punishment that was quite popular in the UK back during this time. And it, it was just basically if you got trouble in trouble in school, you'd be hit with a stick. That's kind of similar to the same material that makes up like wicker furniture. Ouch. Um, yeah, so he got this treatment because he put a dead mouse in this jar of gobstoppers at oh. a local candy store that was run by an old sour woman, and she demanded that he gets punished. You're saying gobstopper, but I'm picturing like a big old jawbreaker? Jawbreaker, same thing. Gobstopper, okay. uh, jawbreaker, so. same stuff. Yep. Sure. So yeah, this old sour woman, she told the headmaster of his school... You know, you gotta beat this kid. And then while he was getting beat, the candy store owner was there and saying that it wasn't that he wasn't doing it hard enough. And well, if this sounds kind of familiar, um, it's kind of like Miss Trunchbull. This actually was the inspiration for Miss Trunchbull and Matilda. Well, yep. I um, just remember the the closet in that movie and the big oh, chocolate cake. Nightmares and Danny DeVito. Yes, of course, not nightmares. Yeah, I think I want to say he directed it. Um, He definitely had a hand in it. Yeah, one thing that was really cool was uh, the actor that was playing Matilda. I think her mom passed right before the movie came out, and Danny DeVito was like very comforting to the, you know, kid actress, and she and he actually showed uh, the mom the film right before she passed so uh thank you frank yeah Uh, right (laughs) back when he wasn't so sour yeah after this he attended another school where the environment was like dominated by you know like this seniority system but it was like kind of this sadistic system where the older boys could just basically beat the younger boys all the time and They just expected the younger kids to put up with it. So when he was at this school, he and other students would receive free samples of new Cadbury chocolates uh, for testing. Uh, Does this sound a little familiar? Maybe? Maybe. Mm, I'm sensing uh, callback vibes to our Hellbound Heart series with the the bonbons and the dove heads in the beginning. Is that what we're getting at here? (laughs) Uh, well, you need to look forward, I think. Oh, uh, sure. A, yeah. a message that we could all learn. Yep. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so poetic. Uh, yeah, positively. But, yeah, so you get the very first samples of, like, new testing flavors. Um, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you, but... Uh, for those that don't know, my dad, he was a Dorito 
well, not Dorito truck driver, but a Frito-Lay truck driver. And sometimes he'd get sample flavors of unreleased flavors. And one of those flavors was the cheeseburger flavor. And I remember the packaging it came in uh, was just this plain white, you know, bag. I remember. It must have been from, I mean... You're talking about this, and I seem to have a, a specific memory linking back to it. I'm pretty sure you're involved with it, but if I mean, if you don't remember me being there, maybe I wasn't. I think he. I think I might have brought him into class. Who uh, knows, man? I'll, I'll have to ask my dad. But I feel like yeah. I remember a sort of government testing Doritos bag. <laughs> but once again, I could have seen one of those anywhere. Yeah. So long story short, my dad is basically Willy Wonka of the Frito Lay world. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Um and just got to chime in here. I don't know why it catches me off guard so much every single time, but uh, it's incredible that we're seeing such obvious parts of this guy's life come into the story. Like I said, it has like come up every single time, obviously, but um, it's kind of interesting just specifically where a lot of this um, inspiration comes from for the writers, of course. It must have left an impression on him getting to taste test things as a child, you know, from wherever he was getting them from. And uh, later on, it just, I mean, bled through into one of the most famous children's stories of all time. And we're talking about it right now. Yeah, it makes me really want to make a book of where I make like a revisionist uh, story of this. And it'd be called... uh, Coal in the Doritos factory. Wow. Um, Does not have a good ring to it. I gotta be honest with you right up front. <laughs> Coal in the Cool Ranch Doritos factory. There's a little bit more alliteration in there, but uh, <laughs> we'll work on it. Uh, yeah, like, um, it is interesting because uh, these chocolate companies, uh, Cadbury and this one other one, I can't remember what it's called, but... They were very secretive of their recipes, and they would have workers that uh, would serve as spies for the other company and start to work at the other. Um, and this inspired like the secretive nature of Willy Wonka himself. So once again, that is pretty much a verbatim part of the book that uh, we'll get to here soon. Yeah, and so. Doll, he would imagine himself inventing a candy bar that would win over Mr. Cadbury. So, just a big candy, big candy boy. Gotta love it. Yep. And so, at this school, um, you know, wasn't really a great student, uh, wasn't really a great writer either, but he was like six foot six, so he was a pretty decent athlete, and he played cricket, football, Soccer and golf. Um, six foot six. Yep. Holy moly, he was the BFG he was writing about. <laughs> the BFG was there the whole time. Yep. The BFG was inside us all along. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so he wasn't that great of a student, as I mentioned, and his mom was like, Well, my son's going to Oxford. But he was like, uh, no thanks. I need adventure. And he took a job with the Shell Oil Company that, and they sent him to Tanzania. So I kind of relate with him on that where I was just kind of like, yeah, send me to Germany. 
and I'm finally here. But lockdown starting next week, so that's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm uh, sure that'll be exciting. Yeah, so it'll give me more time to do podcast stuff. That's so that's good. Sure. Um, but he had a pretty good time there. He was like living a luxurious life. He had like a very nice place with uh, some servants. Um, but in 1939, you know, Hitler was well doing Hitler things. And uh, Britain, they needed some people to join the Royal Air Force. Uh, so this is a little, little fun fact I learned. So um, the Royal Air Force is the longest independent air force. And in the United States, it wasn't like that until after uh, World War II because we were part of the army. But the UK, they're doing it for, well, since after World War One. So that, I thought that was kind of neat. Yep. A little history lesson. Yep, a little little Air Force uh, thing for you, oh. for you, for my military people. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, and in one of his missions, he uh, crashed, and because he he was a pilot, and he he crashed during this mission, and he fractured his skull, injured his spine, uh, but he was able to crawl away from the burning wreck. Um, wow. And then his first published work would be this experience when he crashed. So that's pretty interesting. And then he did a few more missions. Uh, but then he soon became an, an ambassador for the Royal Air Force in Washington, D.C. Because at the time, America wasn't in World War II. They were still doing isolationism. But that's why Roald Dahl was there. But He was there to kind of get a feel for FDR. And he would try to, you know, talk to Winston Churchill and be like, make sure to send him, uh, you know, Cadbury eggs. He loves Cadbury eggs. we got to sweeten them up. <laughs> yep. But, uh, you know, it just took Pearl Harbor. So that's that's how we joined. His efforts... Didn't really work, but he was there the whole time, and he kind of felt uh, out of out of like the combat picture. He didn't feel like it was that important because he went from flying missions to partying in D.C., where they had plenty of plentiful food, and that just wasn't Ooh. the case in U.K. when they're having like food rations uh, during the war. So hmm, something else that may come up in the story we're about to discuss. Yeah. Starvation. Starvation. Yep. Not fun. Um probably not. No. Wouldn't wouldn't no. Well, I did do the 48-hour famine for for God once. Uh Whoa. Uh yep, it's called homeless and hungry and you had a sleep in a box and uh not eat for 48 hours so i think that was one of the uh many ending points of me being semi-religious i was like oh i don't want to sleep in a box but it was a it was an interesting experience uh just wasn't fun at the time (laughs) Mm, probably not (laughs) no but gives you perspective Sure. Uh, after this, after the war, Dahl, he married a woman named Patric- Patricia Neal, and he had five children with her. Um, 
One of his children had hydro hydros hydrocephalus. Hydrocephalus. Yep, I was gonna get there. I pronounced. I practiced it when I was writing this, and I thought I had it, but uh, I threw gotcha. me off. Thank you very much. And so this was actually really interesting. Dahl, he decided to help invent a uh, shunt that would like relieve the uh, excess fluid in his son's brain because uh, what hydrocephalus is is when you have excess brain fluid and it's uh, causing you know pressure points on your brain. So he designed a device to relieve that pain. Um, wow. Yeah, that was very neat. Um, This is kind of off track, but I was just thinking. It was probably through reading this book that I subconsciously got to thinking about, like, of course, you know, people are still inventing stuff these days, but it's so funny to hear about stories from way back in the day when, you know, some guy just needed a thing, so he went out and invented a whole new machine for it right there on the spot. You know what I mean? Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, yeah, just patent it and well i guess he had the motivation for it you know he was right directly involved with it so very cool i thought that was very neat um and so his daughter olivia she died from measles at a very young age and this caused him to be a very big promoter of vaccines uh throughout his life and uh he would dedicate the bfg to his late daughter which was uh very nice. Yes. And so he would go on to write children books. Children books, uh, you know, the most common theme of his books is that the villains are black and white. The good people are black and white. Uh, that's one thing I always remembered from the books is that, you know, Augustus Gloop and uh, some of these other awful bratty kids, they're very memorable and just bad. And they're always set in these, like, quirky and often, like, dark environments. Kind of like a Grimm Brothers fairy tale. Very, very fun books, though. It's obvious that he's one of the biggest children book writers of all time. But, however, these uh, dark environments also go hand-in-hand with some dark, uh, should we say, views on uh, some subjects. Uh, just like many of the authors that we've covered, they have, uh, well, some downsides. <laughs> um, oh. yep. So I'm getting flashes of HP Lovecraft. Yep. HP that, uh, oh, that piece of poop. Um, oh. uh, so he had some very bad views on Jewish people and he said that, you know, he had the the same view of people that are like, oh, Jewish people have all the money, they own America. Uh, that can't, that same kind of view, uh, which is weird because he fought the Nazis in World War Two, but I don't know. And he not just said so, like, not so black and white himself. Yes. Yep. He wrote you know very good children's books, but then he kind of has a dark view on some of these things so yes and he said that they aren't generous and he said quote there's always a reason why anti anything crops up anywhere even a stinkler like hitler didn't just pick on them for no reason holy moly yes whoa uh and so 
another thing is, is his family finally uh, put out a public statement, uh, you know, apologizing for his views because, well, he is dead now and his family, I think, owns the, you know, proprietary rights of this or whatever. I would assume Um, so. So, yeah, they they, uh, just came out with an apology not too long ago, like very recently. Um, And also in the first edition of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, uh, he he portrayed the Oompa Loompas as African pygmy people. Ah, Uh, wow. Very interesting reading it, uh, reading it on the Kindle. I got a bit of a different version. Yep, well, that is true because it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. You know what, once again, we'll get to that part when we get to it, but uh, I thought it was very interesting getting to that specific part of the book. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very interesting uh, characters, the Oompa Loompas. Yes. But, yeah, I guess the first edition had, like, very obvious, like, African stereotypes and... It was just kind of, it was like, well, slavery. And and Ooh. it still kind of is in the book, the newer um, edition, but... Yeah, you might say that. <laughs> um, but he changed it. Uh, he changed their appearance in later editions. They now have orange skin, like you see in the movies. Um, he, he did admit, well, he, you know, at least he changed that part. But, you know, you can't, you can't change what he said about Jewish people. You can't change history. You can't change what you said. Um, and so he would continue to write until his death on November 23rd, 1990. Uh, the 23rd anniversary of JFK's death. Whoa! Uh, <laughs> Cuckoo's nest callback. Yep. Yeah, uh, <laughs> wait. Who? Why was that date uh, significant in that series? I can't remember. Because uh, someone was talking about how the pad of butter on the wall was like JFK. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. They're talking about the death of the well, the downfall of the Republican par- Party. Um, callback. The only reason I know that date is because of the Stephen King book, November 23rd. You mentioned that same thing back then. Yep. I remember. Yep. Uh, It was my first Stephen King book, and what a great book to start off with, even though it is very long. Well, hey, you know what? Honestly, screw Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Um, I read The Shining. That's a really good one, too, you know? Yeah. Um, the only Stephen King book I've read. I can't wait to read Pet Cemetery. That would be really perfect for an October book at some point down the road. But you know, we got a few more Octobers left in us, so you know, I guess yeah. uh, I guess we'll see, huh? I'm down to read Stephen King all the time. I'd love mm-hmm. to cover him one day. Very yep. nice. Uh, we'll have to cover the Dark Tower series because it's very simple and uh, it doesn't have much of a backstory. Uh, yeah right. <laughs> Great movie. Uh, we'll just cover the film. Yeah, that was uh, bland as hell. Oh um, man. But yeah, so he, you know, he passed away in 1990, and it was from a rare blood uh, blood cancer, uh, which I've I've never heard of. Uh, but yeah. Well. Yeah, that's that was his life. That is the life of Raul Dahl. Um, I figured literally the second I uh, I said. What a great guy that there was something horrible coming down the line because... Well, uh, I mean, hey, 
there's one thing our, um, many of our protagonists have in common with the, uh, writers of the books, you know, they obviously aren't completely black and white because black and white just doesn't exist. Very true. Yep. And it's unfortunate that a lot of these, uh, authors have such, uh, controversial views, uh, but not, not, not our next author, uh, it's gonna she she doesn't she's just a angel uh Uh, so you know well we'll uh we'll announce that at the end of this series yeah we'll cover that in about a month and a half (laughs) um alrighty without further ado are you ready to get into the the mind of Raul Dahl with the first Charlie Bucket book Charlie and the Chocolate Factory oh give me the chocolate alrighty without further ado The book starts with an introduction of the seven-person household our titular character Charlie lives with, um, Grandpa Joe and Grandma Josephina, Grandpa George and Grandma Georgina, and Mr. and Mrs. Bucket, uh, his parents. No names given in the book. Kind of weird. Also, um, Grandpa and Grandma, both of them having very similar names. That's kind of fun. I didn't realize that until I saw them all lined up here, and I was like, huh. You those... you realized that right this second. Yep. Wow. Yep. Wow, we're, uh, we're not even two sentences into the outline, and we're already <laughs> learning stuff. Of, you know, callbacks to Catcher in the Rye, but once again, we'll talk about all that later. Yep. That's the idea. Grandpa Joe, Grandma Josephina, Grandpa George, and Grandma Georgina. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, like I said, his parents. Due to the fact that all the grandparents are too old to work, the only source of income for all seven people comes from Charlie's dad, who uh, works in a toothpaste factory, screwing lids onto tubes of toothpaste. And, and uh, just got to say, we love our toothpaste uh, lid screwers. Hey, man. Uh, I'm all about it. Yeah, um, I need my toothpaste in, a, you know, not empty, so thank you. The only downside to this job is that uh, a lone toothpaste cap screwer, unfortunately, does not make too much money, and it is hammered in through, I mean, pretty much right from the start of the book here, that uh, with painting a vivid, vivid image, we see some of that poverty we discussed up top. Um, yeah. He's got to pay for seven people. Six of them aren't working. He's got uh, the job at the toothpaste factory, and he's just... I mean, they're, it's not even that they're not even swimming in money. It's that the tub is bone dry, you know? Yeah. Um, and the, the ramshackle they live in is so shabby that uh, cold winter winds blow across the floor... And the four grandparents are in one bed up on an actual um, box spring or whatever. And Charlie and his parents sleep in a second room on the floor with these cold winds blowing over them all night. Um, yeah. Once again, just completely having a pretty awful image painted right here from the start. And, you know, if the cold wasn't bad enough, all they have for breakfast is bread and margarine. They have cabbage and potatoes for lunch, and they have cabbage soup for supper uh, seven days a week. Um, The only time the meal schedule is ever broken out of its monotony is on Sundays when they eat the same thing, but everyone has a second helping. 
Yeah, yep. Uh, lots of vivid imagery going on here, but uh, they make it. Uh, well, he makes it very clear that the family loves each other very much. Charlie, he's like this just pure guy. He doesn't complain. Well, boy, he's not a guy. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, in the book, he's 23, still living with yep. his parents yep, like yep, a loser. Yep. Without a doubt, I would say our youngest protagonist, even though I honestly cannot remember his specified age right now. No, I can't remember either. But, but uh, um, you know... Clockwork Orange started off with Alex, I believe, being 15 or 16, and Holden was 16, so uh, Charlie, he's not just uh, cutting him under a few years. I think he's probably not even 10 years old, but once again, not entirely sure. Yep, and he's, uh, you know, he's obviously starving from his meals, but he never complains he's you know, a good boy. About, the, about the food or anything. It's mentioned at this point in the book for the first time that Charlie is a very small and gaunt boy because you know he's not getting much to eat and his parents uh will even offer offer him their share of the few uh of the food and he doesn't tend to take it because once again he's just a little angel boy even though he's in such a tough situation um and yep. even when he would take their meals uh it's still never enough you know he's a growing kid and i mean clearly i mean none of them are good enough to eat you know like i said and like uh like is very clear they he would, are uh, very impoverished yeah he even when he would get like his last piece of bread or whatever he would split it among his family uh or chocolate uh yes um it's funny that you mentioned that actually because another thing they point out at this part of the book is that uh the one thing that he's always thinking about, no matter what, you know, other than being hungry and cold, is uh, chocolate. Yeah. And I don't know that if I was starving, I don't know that chocolate would be my food that I would only be thinking about compared to, like, a big steak or something like that. It's um, probably just, just such a though. rare... Yeah, it's probably just because it's such a rare occurrence and it's just so sweet and tasty... It leaves and, an impression. Uh, the biggest difference between the movie and the book is the that Charlie, he only yells chocolate in the whole book, just like the character in SpongeBob, uh, the fish chocolate. that is chocolate. Uh, <laughs> and you know, I'm not going to say what it is right now, but uh, we have not got to the biggest change between the book and the movie yet. Nope, nope. I I have that one pinned up in the old memory banks. But I'm happy to hear it because it's been a while for me. We won't be discussing that until part two. Okay, okay. Um, the only time, however, that Charlie gets his wish granted for having a bar of chocolate is, you know, his birthday every year, uh, where his family saves up to get him a nice big Wonka bar. Um, you know. Pretty much just Hershey, but we're going to see how uh, Willy Wonka is a bit more imaginative. He doesn't just pump out the giant chocolate bars. He has the uh, everlasting gobstoppers and the gum that doesn't lose its flavor and the candy balloons and all that kind of stuff. Um, Just wonderful. Yeah, it's all very fun, and I'm really excited to watch this movie again before the discussion episode because, uh, once again, just wonderful visuals. 
Yeah. Yeah. With some fun words as well. Yep. Um, Charlie holds on to this chocolate bar he gets for his birthday for about as long as he can without eating it. And he'll uh, just stare at it and think about it. But now that it's here, you know, patience of a saint, apparently, that he doesn't just rip it open and wolf the whole thing down right away. Um, And even when he does open it, he just peels one corner back just a little. And he breaks shards off the bar. And by doing this, he can make a... um, chocolate bar last him an entire month have you ever been able to do anything like that with something like this Cole? i mean you know i i can imagine that the longest i ever made a snack last was about you know maybe a half hour or something like that but he's making this one chocolate bar last him an entire month that's a long time yeah i guess with uh bud light i like to Savor the flavor, you know, I like to Mm. sit on it all day. Uh, Sip on it just a little bit because, you know, I only have one Bud Light a month. That's my Ah, allowance. Wonderful. Uh, (laughs) And hey, you know, you got to have fun. And uh, as someone told me, you know, that is your allowance and it's good to um, it's good to moderate. But remember, everything in moderation, including moderation. Yep. Yep. Just think about that. But the worst part of, uh, of Charlie's entire situation, once again, even though he's half-starved and sleeping on a cold floor and cramped into a house with his loving family, the worst part of all is that uh, they live just within sight of the Wonka factory itself, and walking by it uh, twice a day to get to school and home every day, uh... It's all Charlie can think about because he could just smell the chocolate smoke wafting out of the building. <laughs> chocolate <Yeah>. smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was uh, the interesting part to me because, you know, as a kid, you're like, oh, it's just a big old factory next to his house. But it, once you get older, you realize that some of these factories that put out big things of smoke, uh, it's uh, not good for your health. And it's one what? of the... Yep, you heard it here, folks. Um, but it just reminds me of like you know back before the EPA was created, you could have uh, you know this coal factory right next to a black neighborhood or something, or uh, like the uh, John Mellencamp song "Pink Houses," where he's talking about like people think they have it so good, even though they have a interstate running through their backyard, stuff like that. Is there anything wrong with um, just having your life in that sort of perspective, though? You know, you don't need the 100-bedroom mansion to have a nice life, you know? Yeah, it's just, uh, it it shows, the reason why it's, like, placed so close to, like, Charlie's place is, like, it's, uh, you know, a critique on differences in class. Like, here you have this uh, really small you know shack basically in the shadow of this giant factory it's just like uh the movie uh the a24 movie with uh willem dafoe where the people are living in the hotel right next to this right next to disneyland uh disneyland's like right in the background uh that same imagery three billboards outside something or other is that the one no no uh I can't remember. The Florida Project. Ah, yes, I heard things. Yeah, it was very good. Basically this, like, 
mom and her daughter live in this really cheap hotel and Willem Dafoe's the manager and he's just you know he's hard but he's a good guy and oh. it's yeah it's right uh right in the shadows of Disney World so well yep um one of the few pleasures Charlie and his family can find in their life is when they all huddle together in the house and tell stories momentarily forgetting their troubles and during one of these sessions, old Grandpa Joe tells Charlie about uh, the wonders of Willy Wonka and his big mysterious factory, which was shut down years earlier due to the fact that Wonka's competition planted spies in order to steal his recipes for the aforementioned candy balloons and gum that never loses flavor and gobstoppers. Um, and we that discussed man. that minutes ago. Yeah, Mr. Cadbury himself was trying to steal from him, and Willy Such Wonka a... executed him. <laughs> he, he made an example out of a... He, he yeah. made a public execution right there in the middle of the floor, and then he sent everyone home. <laughs> no, he saw, he uh, sent him to drown in the chocolate waterfall. He pushed Whoa. him down the chocolate waterfall. Yeah, wouldn't that be something if uh, that exact thing came up later on in the book, maybe around part two? And that's um, not, the secret recipe. <laughs> not saying it's going to happen. Uh, um, but it's actually interesting. The Cadburys, um, they originated as like a Quaker family uh, in England. And uh, yeah, the, the founder of like the chocolates, he uh, was actually kind of progressive for his time. He promoted animal rights and all this other thing, all wonderful. these other things. But that's just a few snippets that I read on Wikipedia. So... Uh, <laughs> a quick glance. Sure, good stuff. Yeah. yeah. The spies caused Wonka to fire his entire workforce, but you know the show must go on, and the factory eventually reopened um, without a single person being hired, and the the show must go on. Like I said, and all people know is that while he hasn't hired people from the town to work for him. You can see tiny shadows in the windows. And, you know, I mean, who are they, right? Yeah, I love this. Uh, can you imagine reading this book for the first time without having even heard about the movie and knowing everything? And not knowing what an Oompa Loompa was clear as day before getting to this part? What are these tiny shadows in the windows? Yeah. Is he going to the chocolate factory? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but um, I love this imagery. You know, it's so mysterious and it's like, oh, what's going on in that factory? It yep. really builds up the, you know, the the. Expect your expectations for what's inside of here. Uh, just just brings out that little kid in you, you know. A absolutely. Continuing his rant, Joe tells the family about Wonka's dealings with a quote-unquote Indian prince named Pondicherry, who commissioned Wonka to build him an entire palace out of chocolate. I'm talking, I'm talking the walls. I'm talking the ceilings. I'm talking the lamps, the furniture. Every single thing built out of chocolate and designed by Mr. Willy Wonka himself. And after completion of the project, Wonka told Pondicherry to get to eat in the place before it's reduced to nothing but a river of chocolate. And his advice is not heeded, and sure enough, the uh, prince learned the hard way that 
He should have listened to Willy Wonka because that factory just melted in that hot sun. Oh yeah, gives you a good setup to uh, always listen. Always listen to Willy. Uh, he Mr. knows Wonka. what he's talking about. Yep, he. Uh, you know he he knows what's right and wrong, uh, but this this prince, uh, he was in the Johnny Depp movie, right? Yes, he was. Sh- Honestly, I'm not going to bring it up every time I think about it, but like I said, I can remember so much of that movie vividly, including the chocolate walls of this palace melting. Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, I'll have to rewatch it, but it seems there's a lot of stuff in here that I'm like, huh? Like the toothpaste factory and everything. Yep, I thought that was kind of weird. That was. But yeah, it's in the once book. Again, once again, I remember it very vividly watching the movie, and maybe we'll have to watch both of these before getting to our discussion episode on it. Uh, just because, even though the Johnny Depp one is a bit reviled, it might kind of be fun taking a trip down memory lane, you know? Yeah, and see Count Dooku. Yeah! Oh, wow. Christopher, <laughs> Christopher Lee. Yeah. After another tale or two, Charlie's father enters the room with a newspaper headlining the, the quote... Wonka factory to be opened at last to lucky few. After years of darkness and nothing but shadows in the windows and the smell of chocolate and, uh, you know, no one seeing Willy Wonka, he is going to open up for the first time in ten years. With, Ooh, once again, no sight of Wonka himself, just, uh, you know, the only output from him being the bars. And along with the bars... The newspaper mentions that there will be five golden tickets going out with random bars throughout the entire world. And the announcement of these golden tickets in the newspaper come with the announcement of the first two children, which also starts the long vilification that we are going to (laughs) see with every person that is not Charlie, pretty much. Charlie's just so perfect, yep. And I'm happy that I, I can say that um, I usually can't grab onto things so easily reading through them uh, by myself. But man, you said that everything's black and white. Charlie is a saint, and as we'll see, every other child in this book is a complete devil. Uh, even though yep. they're, you know, eight years old, they are beyond um, repair, apparently. They were like the the worst classmate you had in uh, kindergarten. Just uh, entitled bratty. They took up all the toys. Um, mm. Just not fun. The first two ticket holders are announced the very next day, coming in the form of a quote-unquote enormously fat boy named Augustus Gloop, which is a very fun name. <laughs> It is fun, and, and I always think of the song. Oh, we're going to get to the song, too, you know? There's going to be a lot to get to here, and I'm very excited to talk about all of it. Um, Yay. And, you know, we're going to call this one a Bad Apple callback to the final episode of our Clockwork Orange series, because I found it interesting that Augustus is quoted as having flabby folds of fat bulged out from every part of his body, and his face like a monstrous ball of dough with two small, greedy, currently eyes peering out upon the world, 
which makes me think of... Do you know what it makes me think of? Uh... In A uh, Clockwork Orange. Uh, Dim? It makes me think of, um... Alex having the picture of the baby with the goobly rot all going drip, drip, drip. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, with the flat, with the folds, yeah. With the, yep, the flabby little baby with the folds. Yeah, okay, yep, I remember that. Um, and, you know, even though it's already been mentioned about ten times that Augustus is a fat boy, they also tell in the, in the newspaper article that the reason he found the ticket is because... He loves eating chocolate bars, which is, you know, because he's a, he's a fat boy. And yeah. it's kind of stated throughout the whole thing. There's this fat kid, and through the powers of being fat and buying chocolate bars, he found a ticket. And after Mr. Bucket finishes reading the newspaper out, and uh, it's kind of an interesting fact to state, too, that... You know, just to add insult to injury or something, he needs to read the newspaper very closely because his eyes are so bad and he can't afford glasses. Oh, Oh, no. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Like I said, an unnecessary detail, but a detail all the same. Yeah. And after, after finishing reading it off through his horribly bad eyes, Grandma Josephina comments on Gloop's mom, who was, you know, a small part of the article. Uh, and she says, what a revolting woman, uh, hasn't met her, doesn't know a single thing about her, but we already know that she's just capital B bad. Ooh, yep. The same article includes a news story about a gangster from a nearby town robbing a bank and buying chocolate bars, and another news article about a a robotic machine with a mechanical arm that was invented to detect gold, which is the perfect plan on paper until a lady standing in the back of the room observing the machine just so happened to have a gold tooth and just got an inch too close to it. Oh, come on. Weren't you social distancing? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm sure that that term was popular back in these days. Yeah, it's just like uh, all this madness that the world's coming to in this book is just like the great toilet paper shortage of uh, 2020. <laughs> uh, it's so great that there, the vaccine man. is here and, you know, we're past this stage. We're past Corona. It's done. We're, and it's part of the past. Yep. <laughs> Hopefully soon. The second child is also announced in the newspaper going by the name of Veruca Salt. She gets the ticket through the fact that her father owns a factory with a workforce that shells peanuts, and he forewent his workload for however long it took him buying thousands of chocolate bars and switching mm. his switching his workforce over from their um, peanut shell crackery to peeling these bars, and fortunately, they finally found the ticket, because if they didn't, Veruca was just laying on the floor, kicking and screaming the entire time until they finally found it, and that is, uh, obviously a very bratty move, throwing a tantrum over something like this, but, like we said before, and like we'll say again, these kids are all brats. Yeah, it's, uh, it's also another, like, criticism of, you know, maybe, I don't know if he was, if Dahl was, like, criticizing capitalism with this book, but 
you know, the rich, you know, win in this case. And Charlie, we don't know if he's going to get the ticket yet, but, you know, it's just like he doesn't really seem to stand a chance yet. No, he doesn't have um, parents with thousands of dollars to throw at something so trivial, you know? After the article is read in its entirety, Grandma Josephina blurts out, That's even worse than the fat boy. Ooh, got him, got him, Grandma Joe. Yeah, seriously. Once again, it's kind of funny that not only are they painted in such a bad light, but we're going to see over and over again that these grandparents are like, yeah, you know, that, that child's awful, and uh, I hate that woman, and they're wretched. <laughs> it's yeah. like, come on. Come it's on. Like, well, um, you know, it's just like how some older people might hate millennials so much, even though their grandparent or their grandkid is one. Uh, but, you know, that's not everyone. Right. Charlie's birthday comes around just in time with this uh, golden ticket fiasco. And it's kind of interesting because at this part in the book, he gets his chocolate bar for the year, but uh, it's still written out to be just a one poor little candy bar, you know, even though it's his, like, light and shining darkness or whatever. Yeah. It's still just the singular one. It's just one crummy old candy bar. It only costs a dime. It's like but, uh, it's it's like the way I look at a you know, like I said a Bud Light after long days of work, mm. uh, <laughs> which I guess I should say maybe a, a PBR or a, a nice Sierra Nevada IPA. Uh, you know, Voodoo Ranger, I like that stuff way more than... I don't oh. think I've ever bought... I don't think I bought Bud Light this year. Well, well, now that we're doing beer talk, I picked up a little case of uh, Sierra Nevada beers myself, and man, they have a lot of alcohol in them. Yeah, they do. They Oh, uh, getting a little off topic, but that they Voodoo have... That Voodoo Ranger is uh, pretty tasty. I do like that one. I went to the... Uh, Liquid Paradise is nice, too. That one is nice as well. The but I went to the North Carolina brewery uh, where they make a lot of the beers, and that place was kind of like a Charlie and the Chocolate Factory experience as well. I get to see how the beer was made. You know, you get to get a little merch and uh, maybe a little bite to eat afterwards. Sticking yeah. your hands in the big beer cauldrons to get a taste. Yep, and then I found uh, Mr. Cadbury at the bottom of the. Uh, Oh, open, but you know, <laughs> you, you found Mr. Budweiser at the bottom of one of those tanks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, such a sad sight, but you know, it's a recipe. You gotta follow it. Yep. <laughs> Charlie gets ready to peel back the wrapper in in sight of all twelve uh, all twelve eyes of his family. You know, they're all very excited because even though. They make it abundantly clear that, you know, he's got a snowball's chance in hell getting this ticket. It's still possible. Yeah. That that ticket could be anywhere, and there's only two out of the five being found. That's only 40%. You know what I mean? Just a little math mm -hmm. for you. I don't want to get anyone too confused here. Well, yeah, and it just might be like the same way poor people might feel about the lottery or like you know just an average person might well, feel about the lottery just the lottery like, in general yeah yeah not a bad thing to keep in mind though you know you shouldn't have your expectations too high but hope is not bad 
No, but unless it's just movies, don't. then you or video games, you just got to keep your expectations low, especially with oh. cyber cyberpunk. You know, there's some problems coming out, but I didn't, I didn't uh, watch this game anything. Just came out. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's bugs on it. What is this? Uh, but. You know, I didn't watch anything on it. I just knew it was going to be an RPG, and I'm having fun with it. So, uh, yeah, just keep your expectations low, and you'll never be disappointed. Aim low. After the the words of wisdom and some egging on by family members, Charlie peels the wrapper back, and there's nothing but the chocolate bar. Written and directed by George Lucas. Yeah, pretty much. Um, (laughs) And, you know... We've made the joke before, and we're going to make it again. This was the end of the book. (laughs) Thanks for listening to our series. And you know what? Honestly, I'm not going to lie. I think it gets funnier every time. Uh, Um, Yeah, but I I just want to do a little, like, oh, you didn't get your golden ticket, Charlie? Uh, You want to make fun of Charlie here? Because I'm all for it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, someone has to. He's too Yo. good of a kid. Ooh, ooh, you didn't find your chocolate <laughs> bar. Yeah, yeah, they make $10 million a day. What'd you expect? Yeah, and you can't even afford it. Ooh. Yeah, seriously. How is he going to get to the chocolate factory? You know, it's not like he has shoes to walk in. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, uh, man. You're right. That was a good idea. Uh Two of the three remaining tickets are written about in the next day's newspaper, going on about a gum chewer named Violet Beauregard, who's been chomping on the same stick of gum for the last three months, and she's like, guess what? This stick of gum still has all the flavor it did right when I took it out of the wrapper. Crazy. And, you know, interestingly enough, Doll lets us form our own, own opinion on her before anyone else chimes in. Because he says that one of her favorite things to do is to stick her ABC, already been chewed gum, to elevator buttons. And it doesn't take a crazy person to realize that Grandma Josephina is actually speaking the truth here when she refers to her as a beastly girl. And Grandma Georgina says that she is despicable. She'll come to a sticky end one day chewing all of that gum. You see if she doesn't. Oh, that is fun. Foreboding. It sounds like it sounds like a leftover part of the lighthouse script from Willem Dafoe. <laughs> yeah. Park. The fourth ticket is claimed to belong to a child that goes by the name of Mike TV. Grandma Georgina already chiming in with distaste for him before any of his information's even read. She's just swinging out the gate. Both of these grandmas are very crotchety. And yeah. uh, Grandpa Joe and Grandpa George don't seem to mind so much, but what can They're you chilling. do? They're you chilling. Know? Yep. They're just doing their thing. Um, Grandpa Joe, he's just talking about Willy Wonka all day. He's fine. Yeah, right? It's like the equivalent say. of like... Uh, yeah, like a Jeff Bezos. Like, you and know, he's the modern day equivalent. It would be like if I was obsessed with Jeff Bezos and ever since I was a little kid, I just wanted to see 
him and the Amazon Prime factory and all the workers there uh, <laughs> that are paid minimum wage, you oh. know, <laughs> can't take bathroom breaks or anything. You'll get a job there to try to steal a secret recipe. <laughs> yeah. Human all misery. Right. <laughs> all right, Jeff, what's the what's the secret here, buddy? Uh, yeah, misery. <laughs> Mike's biggest interest lie in, interestingly enough, television. His name is Mike TV. He cites a specific taste for shows with gangsters and guns, while he himself totes many plastic pistols at all times. A true American. As the family wonders where the fifth ticket will land, Grandma Georgina says, Just as sure as I'll be having cabbage soup for supper tomorrow, that ticket'll go to some nasty little beast that doesn't deserve it. Oh, Wow. Georgina, you, come on. You really are a sour old woman. And I love you for him. <laughs> it is fun. Um, and let me just say, while we're talking about, maybe not uh, on the note of these grandparents being horrible, but on the note of families gathering together and telling stories, maybe you can't gather with your family right now, but uh, give them a call, you know? Call up Grandma and Grandpa. See how they're doing. Yeah, yeah write them a letter. Letters are fun. Letters are awesome. I'd love to write some letters. That's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Going to visit his grandparents the next day, Charlie finds all but Grandpa Joe asleep. And this is a bit of a special interaction here because um, Grandpa Joe has one single dime to his name. And he sends Charlie to the store to grab the first bar of chocolate he sees with it. They have a very Uh, special bond. Grandpa Joe, he's definitely the, the best. Or, you know, he seems like the wholesome uh, grandparents here, the most major character that's most connected with Charlie. A little more optimistic too, maybe. Yeah. There and back in a matter of minutes, the two uncover the chocolate bar. Charlie folds the wrapper off it. He peels the corner back. The air hangs heavy in the room. Nothing. Uh... Well, no what, what did you expect, Charlie? Jeez, come on. Yeah, man. seriously, <laughs> you little moron. Charlie. You think oh, you're you gotta be rich? Yeah, 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 you gotta be rich in this world, buddy. Sorry. You need money to get anything, and that's yeah. something that everyone should learn. Yeah, but not really. And they learn very early with this book. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, to yeah. be fair, you know, we're gonna we're gonna pull the jokes back. He had a he's he's rocking zero percent out of two. Um, not great, but you know what? There's more chocolate bars and there's more opportunities to buy chocolate bars. This book's not over yet. No, it isn't. Getting colder outside, the family is described as having literal, like, bone shivers with the aforementioned cold air still blowing across the floor onto Charlie and his parents as they sleep on the bare mattress lying on the floor. And his grandparents are cold too, but they're at least off the floor. Yeah. Nobody in the family thinks of anything but two specific thoughts, and those are the thoughts of not starving and not freezing to death. Well, mm. yeah, pretty, 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 uh, you know, awful, hor- horrifying image. Yep. Um, the interesting thing that I was specifically excited to mention was the darkness that we've already discussed up to this point in the book. It's a children's book, and I, uh, just like every other book, 
I'm getting something completely different from what I expected because I have the broad image in my mind. But of course, this book is 150 pages, so there's just there's a lot more to it than you might expect. Yeah, um, but I definitely do like you know the dark themes. Oh, I'm absolutely. Not, I'm not. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I liked reading, as you did, like Goosebumps, uh, like a lot of scary, spooky stuff. I didn't really care for the, you know, lighthearted stuff, but uh, not, not so much with these books. I wasn't like the biggest uh, doll, doll boy. <laughs> I gotta say, um, though, if I may defend myself here, um, actually, I'm just gonna throw this out there just in case I ever forget about it. I think it seems kind of interesting to bring up. I always um, took those Goosebumps books out of the library, but I definitely never even read a page of one. Oh, uh, well, I just like the, the covers. covers are cool. Yeah, the oh, covers are I fun. I love the covers. I still got yeah. many of them. I, I still got many of them up in the old Gulliver. No, lots, lots of pleasant memories from Goosebumps. Absolutely. The winter gets colder, and with the colderness comes more hungerness, eventually leaving Charlie, I mean, he's already a malnourished child, but he's uh, so gaunt and frail at this point that you can literally see the bones hiding under his face. He's just... Yeah. I mean, he's a small, hungry child, but he's still a little saint, and that's why we love him. Coming home from school one afternoon, Charlie spots a damp and dirty dollar bill sticking out of the snow. He kind of looks around for a second. Did anyone just drop this? Uh, people pass him by and don't even look his direction. So he pulls it out, and it's specifically written to be damp and dirty, but otherwise, it is a perfectly good dollar that can be spent on food. Obviously, it's the first yeah. thing that comes to mind when he pulls it out. And isn't it interesting that the dollar is written to specifically be damp and dirty, but it's still perfectly fine? And what can we compare that to that we've discussed thoroughly up to this point of the discussion of the book, Cole? Charlie, he's like a hundred bucks. He's this damp, dirty little dollar sticking out of the snow, but once you wipe the soot and grime away... He's still it's, a currency, or I mean, a person. Yep, I mean, hey, <laughs> George uh, Washington and Charlie are the same guy. Yep, I thought that was a cool note, because, you know, Charlie could have just, oh, took that dollar out of, you know, just took it without even thinking about it, but Dahl, he lets us know that he thinks about it for a little bit, then, you know, sees that nobody's searching for this thing, so he picks it up, and, uh... And his, like, uh, thought instantly goes to food. You know, the the number one thing that drives humans. You know, at the end of the day, people gotta eat. If that isn't enough, um, putting some thought into that, Charlie also plans to only go to the store to spend one of the ten dimes he can get out of the dollar on a chocolate bar, bringing the remaining nine home to his mother so that she can spend it on food herself. Oh, yeah, I didn't even think about boy. that. Yeah, I didn't even think about that because these days a dollar can barely get you a, a chocolate bar. I'm sorry, but did you say what year this book came out? 
19, 19, I'm going to Google it right now, 1964, a year 19. after uh, JFK's assassination. That's how we read it. <laughs> and um, maybe a year after the book One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest came out, or maybe that was 1962. Well, uh, either way. 62 because JFK was not assassinated yet. JFK was assassinated the year before. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the year like, after. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you got the pre-9-11, post-9-11. You got the pre-JFK and the post-JFK. As far as conspiracy theories go. Charlie makes his way to a shop. And, you know, he he gives the dollar to a specifically fat shopkeeper uh big jolly guy written out to be fat about a hundred times but you know i guess raw doll doesn't have anything uh specifically problematic against people with a bit more meat on their bones because this guy's a nice guy he's not the rude little chubby boy because i mean obviously he sells charlie the bar but charlie you know, he doesn't make this one last. He peels the wrapper off of that bad boy right then and there and wolfs the whole thing down. Oh, yeah. Don't no. eat the ticket that's in the... Well... <laughs> JK, we'll this is the part we'll where Charlie vomits up um, bite-ridden parts of the golden ticket, which he didn't realize was there because he was so hungry when he ate the bar. No. Uh, he obviously checks for the ticket before. But uh, I think that it's kind of interesting to note that he was more interested in having something to eat than the golden ticket even at this point, which may seem kind of obvious to the whole book. But I kind of picture him seeing this literal ray from heaven shining down on this dollar. And yeah, he's not worried about the ticket. He's worried about having something in his stomach that isn't um, cabbage and despair. The number one, yeah, the number one motivator. Priority, yep. Food, yep. So, you know, like we said, he doesn't find any ticket in this bar, but there are nine whole dimes sitting up on the counter that the shopkeep gives him in change. And, I mean, he's already there, and there's nine of them left, so what is one more ticket going to hurt, huh? Or one more... Ooh, Freudian slip there. What is one yeah. more bar going to hurt, right? Mm. Charlie says, Hey, guy, how about you grab me another one of those Wonka double fudge whipple delights? And the guy goes, You know, you got money, and I sell chocolate bars, so here you go, kid. Takes the dime... And gives Charlie the chocolate bar. And Charlie makes a day's work of unwrapping the the chocolate bar. He, you know, peels back the outer layer. Gets that nice silver foil unwrapped around the edges. He doesn't rip into it like a Christmas present. I'm kind of picturing him being like the family member that keeps the wrapping paper on Christmas. Because, it, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just going to say too, I'm not throwing any shade. Um... It's awesome ripping something open, but it's even it's even nice to keep that nice big piece of wrapping paper around too, just for in case you need it, you know? I don't think I've ever witnessed that. Uh, really? Pretty neat. Yeah, no. Different cloths were cut from, apparently. Yep. Uh, I just tore into those presents and then 
you know, is usually a pair of socks. There uh, you go. Hey, <laughs> definitely not the golden ticket. The golden ticket was when I got a PS2. That was cool. I love socks. Charlie, unwrapping this golden ticket, finally finishing the work. Oh, I said golden ticket again. Unwrapping the chocolate bar, he finds a golden ticket. Two Freudian slips leading up to this. Um, he One out of four ain't bad, honestly. Four dimes spent on four chocolate bars. He still got to eat the three chocolate bars. And this fourth one finally has that big, beautiful gold foil in it. Yeah. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering, well, what's the chance I'll win the Powerball? One in four. One in four. One in four. So Very good take life that advice. Chance. Yep, take it. Finding this ticket clearly gathers a crowd from outside into the shop, and one of the things specifically that Charlie is mentioned to have overheard is someone in the crowd saying, "What a tiny skinny boy, yeah. and he's so sickly." Uh, I'm sure Charlie, I mean, he might not be bummed out about it or it might be or something, but he's probably on cloud nine right now. So who gives a crap if someone yeah. in the crowd is, you know, like, oh, look at this poor little kid. It is still a sad sight, but he, I mean, like we said, well, I actually, um, we'll actually get to exactly, I think the shopkeeper puts it best at the end of this segment. Charlie gathers a crowd or gains a crowd out from the streets into the shop, and a man offers him $50 for the ticket. Let's try to put this into perspective without reading it, because he spends one dime on a chocolate bar, and what? You get a, a little a little bar of chocolate these days, it probably at least costs you two bucks, and this man is offering him a $50 bill for this golden <laughs> ticket that he just unwrapped minutes earlier. That's 500 Chocolate bars. 500 chocolate bars with that $50 bill. But we're going to see that it might be worth it to hold on to this ticket. Even though a woman overhearing this man's offer says, Do not listen to this man, child. I will offer you $500 for that ticket. That's that like 5000 is that 5,000 chocolate bars? That's 5,000 chocolate bars. So if you had a chocolate bar a month like Charlie does, that's like a lot of chocolate bars. He's going to need a truck to bring all those chocolate bars home because he takes the $500 from this lady and goes home, leaving her with the <laughs> ticket. Her wait, and no, then, sorry. And then this turned into uh, Karen in the Chocolate Factory. Karen in the Chocolate Factory. Uh, su surprise, <laughs> me and Cole, actually, we wrote a fan fiction, and that's what we're going to be discussing yeah. for the rest oh, of this. Can you imagine? Uh, she'd probably go in there and be like, you can't tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm going to swim in this. Uh, <laughs> you can't tell me to wear a mask in this chocolate uh, river. <laughs> I, can't wait to, I can't wait for the part where... Willy Wonka sacrifices her into the chocolate water fountain. Falling on the uh, chocolate rocks that protrude from the bottom like jagged teeth in some monster's jaw. Oh, man. That no. would be a fun fan fiction. Uh, we, we might have to do a little, little Karen in the Chocolate Factory for our discussion episode. Of course. Uh. If it wasn't obvious enough, 
Charlie doesn't take the money from either of these people, and the shopkeep eventually pulls him away from the crowd, and like I said, he puts it best when he says, I have a feeling you needed a break like this. I'm awfully glad you got it. Good luck to you, Sonny. And he sends him home telling him to keep a death grip on this ticket. Which, obviously, why wouldn't he? But it's kind of crazy that people are so ready to... Well, of course, they're ready for the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that he's just unwrapped with this little bar of chocolate. You know, I don't blame them, but um, Charlie probably would have been smarter than that, even without the shopkeep's words of wisdom. Yeah, it's it's pretty symbolic, too. You know, like... uh... You needed a break like this. It, once, once you're in poverty, well, especially in America, it's very hard to get uh, out of poverty. Um, and sometimes you need this big break, wh- whether it be a golden ticket or just a scholarship or something. Um, so, yeah, that, that's actually one of the biggest, the most famous quotes from this book is I, I had a feeling you needed a break like this. Well put. Interestingly enough, I'm not sure if you read this on the Kindle like I did, but uh, yeah, it was one of them that was highlighted. Yep. And while I'm talking about it, actually, I myself have been highlighting many parts, and this will kind of, this might give people a little, a little bit of our own secret recipe for the, (laughs) the podcast sauce, but instead of comparing this with, um, different, like, I'm not really sure, different notes written about the book. Instead of comparing this with my own and writing it out, I actually just jumped from each highlighted segment to write the skeleton for what we're discussing right now, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, it's not a bad, not a bad strategy. Now, nobody, uh, nobody steal that and make their own book podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Bringing the ticket home. Grandpa Joe's eyes burn with excitement as he reads the rules off the gold foil. Springing from the bed, after an inactive 20 years, the 96-and-a-half-year-old man does a victory dance in his pajamas, and he is Very just... nice scene right here. You know, just... Uh, it, it's a miracle. It really is. Um, yep. Once again... I don't know that he's particularly had hope this entire time for Charlie to get the ticket. Well, of course he has, because Joe seems like a pretty cool guy, but, uh, I mean, the the whole family's probably got to be pretty ecstatic. Oh, yeah. And Grandpa Joe, he's the one who's obsessed with Willy Wonka. You know, I don't know if he, what kind of relationship he's had with him, but it's like uh, his celebrity crush. And he can't, Uh, you know, he's very excited about this. Now, as I mentioned just a second ago, um, it's the rules that Joe reads off the ticket that, well, obviously, other than the ticket that excite him, because written on the ticket is the following quote. Greetings to you, the lucky finder of this golden ticket from Mr. Willy Wonka. I shake you warmly by the hand. Tremendous things are in store for you. Many wonderful surprises await you. For now, I do invite you to come to my factory and be my guest for one whole day. You and all others who are lucky enough to find my golden tickets. I, Willy Wonka, will conduct you around the factory myself, showing you everything that there is to see. And afterwards, 
when it is time to leave, you will be escorted home by a procession of large trucks. These trucks, I can promise you, will be loaded with enough delicious eatables to last you and your entire household for many years. If at any time thereafter you should run out of supplies, you have only to come back to the factory and show the, this golden ticket, and I shall be happy to refill your cupboard with whatever you want. In this way, you will be able to keep yourself supplied with tasty morsels for the rest of your life. But this is by no means the most exciting thing that will happen on the day of your visit. I am preparing other surprises that are even more marvelous and more fantastic for you and for all my beloved golden ticket holders. Mystic and marvelous surprises that will entrance, delight, intrigue, astonish, and perplex you beyond measure. In your wildest dreams, you could not imagine that such things could happen to you. Just wait and see. And now, here are your instructions. The day I have chosen for the visit is the first day in the month of February. On this day, and on no other, you must come to the factory gates at 10 o'clock sharp in the morning. Don't be late and you are allowed to bring with you either one or two members of your own family to look after you and to ensure that you don't get yourself into mischief. One more thing. Be certain to have this ticket with you, otherwise you will not be admitted. Signed, Willy Wonka. They fit that all on a candy bar-sized chocolate ticket? I'm kind of picturing when you click on the Kindle screen and shrink the writing down to microscopic so that you can fit the whole book on a page. That that works. It's a bit of a mouthful. What do you think of those rules, though, Cole? What do you think of the whole thing just being read out for you to listen to? Well, Wonka, he's a man of rules. <laughs> uh, he, he, too many rules. He's like uh, Germany. There's too so many, many rules, rules here. Think? Yep. What is yep. his what is his worst rule? Well, don't swim in the don't don't touch the chocolate river. That well, was... we haven't got to that part yet, Cole. We don't know oh. that that's a rule yet. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to bring your own family member. What if I want to bring uh my my dog? Oh, man. That could be kind of fun actually. <laughs> Either uh, well, way. with my dog, uh, it would be a nightmare. She would eat everything in there. Um, she's a pig. It turns out that the first day of February is the next day. So... Ooh, nick of time. Yep. So Grandpa Joe tells Charlie to wash his face, comb his hair, scrub his hands, brush his teeth, blow his nose, cut his nails, polish his shoes, iron his shirt... And for heaven's sakes, get the mud off your pants. Yeah, come on. Come on, Charlie. What are you doing? Um, Grandpa Joe needs to see Willy Wonka. And if it wasn't obvious enough, Grandpa Joe, pulling this miracle out of nowhere and springing out of the bed, leads his parents to decide that he himself can bring Charlie with him to the factory the very <laughs> next day. Uh, yeah, that that is fun. They contemplate if they want um, Mr. Bucket to go with them, but nope. They end up sticking with Grandpa Joe, and the very next day on the first of February, the five golden ticket holders will meet outside of Wonka's factory for the event of a lifetime, and that is where we will pick up next week with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory Part Two. 
Yay. I just imagine like, uh, you know, Grandpa Joe is breaking it down. He's breakdancing. And the parents are like, or Charlie's like, oh, who, who am I going to bring with? And he pans over all these you know people in the house you got the three other grandparents in the bed they're looking well pretty still and then josephina george and georgina (laughs) and then you got uh the parents and you know we don't really know too much about them and then you got joe over there sleepy joe he's well sleepy joe is now dancing joe and (laughs) 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 and he's the perfect candidate Wow. Uh, oh my god <laughs> okay yes grandpa joe uh, if it wasn't obvious uh, enough just because his parents aren't painted with quite as much life as grandpa joe is not only in the story but also with how many details and how much um quote-unquote screen time we've got with them grandpa joe is the obvious choice obviously yeah. if you're listening to this right now thanks if you are you already know that Grandpa <laughs> Joe is the one that goes with them. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, you know, I've had a few moments like this where, you know, you try to be modest about like some opportunity that comes up and you're just, kinda, everyone else is kind of like, oh, I don't want to go. And you're just kind of like, shit, I don't, I don't really want to say I want to go, but Grandpa <laughs> Joe, he's all about it, you know? Are you saying you uh, wouldn't want to go to the factory? You know, I'd I'd be uh, I would, but uh, I feel like I'd try to be like, oh shit, no one else wants to go. I guess I'll go. You know, kind of weigh it uh, out. But like, uh, I remember this one time someone told me about them taking a trip to Paris by themselves. <laughs> yeah, kind of reminds yeah. me of that. From I can't even remember where I heard it from. Either way. Thank you so much for listening to this first part of our series. Cole, tell me all your thoughts. Oh, this was fun. You know, our first children literature book. Uh, But there's, it's actually a really in-depth, very real-world situation. Maybe not with the, the environment or the atmosphere, but like a lot of the themes and, uh, you know, well, the settings with the big factory and the criticisms of poverty and stuff like that. So it's it's interesting to revisit it as an adult, you know, because when I think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I was just like, oh, plum plums and trees that are edible. But yep. there's actually a lot more to it. Yeah, um, I'm always caught off guard by that kind of stuff, but it was a very... Good surprise, because I wasn't too worried that I picked something that might be a little too simple for the show, but, you know, I thought, that is a children's book, as classic as it is, you know, but once again, here we are, and I got so much more than I expected as I was chalking this outline out, and it's a it was a very yeah. pleasant surprise, on top of already being excited to read this in the first place. Yeah, it, it was fun. It was very fun. It's fun to, you know, steer away from... Most of the books we've read have been a little dark, a little depressing, a little psychoanalytic, maybe. Not Uh, only dark and depressing and psychoanalytic, but every single character we've been following up to this point has 
they've been, been the, uh, very if nothing else they've been very complete troubled. opposite well, <laughs> of well, charlie 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 is of course troubled but even holden himself he doesn't hurt anyone through all of catcher in the rye but he's still just in a very bad place mentally but charlie he's just like we keep saying he's just this perfect just little light and darkness pure. you know yep yep just like uh he's a good kid just like uh charlie on it's always sunny you know, just, you know, he might not be the best character ever on television, but compared to the rest of the gang, Charlie is the best. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, if that was all there was to say, you should be following us on the Instagram, if you want to, at the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm talking to you, Cole. Yeah. Yep, I still have to give it a follow. Um... Yeah. Christmas is right around the corner. We still have shirts. They're yeah, the very nicest shirts I've ever wore personally. I don't know about you. Uh, very comfortable. Very comfortable. One of the very very stylish. Materials nice. The material the print is, is nice. nice. And hey, can we just talk about that for a second? We have shirts. It's kind of interesting. I'm not even telling that to the people. I'm just saying it out loud. Yeah. It's all real. Yeah, it's a. That's business, baby. That's business, baby. That's um, bad apple business. Uh, and without further ado, without further ado, goodbye. <laughs> uh, have a chocolatey, have a sweet day. Bye. Wow. Bye-bye. Of course. You know, oh, yeah. I can always do nothing with it. <laughs>